Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole. It's great to see you today. And uh, it's good to have you. If you're a guest today, we're so delighted that you're with us this morning. We hope that you enjoy your time. We hope that you come back. And uh, we're in the middle of our series uh, called Finishing Strong. And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Esther, it's in the Old Testament, Esther chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen when we get there in just a few minutes. But Esther chapter 2, and this whole series is really about many people begin. A lot of people start things, a lot of people start out with great ideas and, and great resolve, but few people finish and even fewer people finish strong. And how do you do that? And today I want to talk to you about seizing the moments and the opportunities in life. We all have moments, we all have opportunities, uh, and we all have the ability to be able to be a part and to see things happen if we will but seize those opportunities in those moments. And so, again, um, it's, it's really, today's message, how I want to say this, is as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, man, there are so many different ways in which to apply that I'm not even going to try to go with one story or one thought uh, as far as application. I think the Holy Spirit uh, at the Appleton campus, at the West campus, online, and here at the Germantown campus is going to tailor it right to where you are and right to what you need. And so if you are today, you're in a situation where there's a relational difficulty, this message may really very much can apply to that. If you're in a situation today and, and you're facing a job transition or a job opportunity, I think this message will speak right to where you are. If you're in a place today where you're struggling against something and you're trying to figure it out, I think today's message can really be applicable to that. If you are a student, maybe you're 13 years old and, and your voice is changing and everything's changing in your world, and there is something in your heart that you have that you don't even understand how to get it out, but there's this dream, there's this passion. It's called the calling of God on your life, and I believe that this message will speak to that. So I just want to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do today. Matter of fact, I just want to pray right now because I really think that God's going to minister to people's hearts and lives on all three of our campuses at our online experience, and would you just pray with me? Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. You know where everyone is, not just physically, but you know where we are emotionally. You know where we are spiritually. You know where we are relationally. God, you know the desires of our heart, and your word is very clear that you have given us those desires and that you want to fulfill those desires, but we have to trust in you. And so I just prayed this morning that you, O oh God, would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would take the words of God and would tailor them to our specific situation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So this, this story of Esther really becomes incredible because she's going through what we call, what I call a crucible experience. It's, it's a it's, it's one of those gut check moments in life where you get someplace and you arrive someplace and you're not just there because there's a reason. There, 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 there's, a, there's a purpose. And how you respond to these crucible experiences in life uh, will determine whether you're going to finish strong or whether you're going to self-eject. We've all had these moments where we see an opportunity, where we see a need, and we have to decide if we're going to do something, if we're going to engage ourselves. And many people will stop and will sit there and kind of go, it's just too difficult, it's too overwhelming, I can't do anything about it. We rationalize it away. But the ones who finish strong are the ones who seize the moment. And that's the story of Esther. Esther, it, this, this story is written about this young Jewish orphan girl 
who's in a period of Israel's time and, and history where they've been exiled to the nation of Babylon. Now, God has this off-again, on-again relationship, not of his choosing, but of Israel's choosing. Israel, they'll passionately go after God, and then they'll kind of fall away. They'll passionately chase God, then they'll kind of fall away. They'll, 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 they'll be red-hot in their passion and their pursuit and their discipline, then they just kind of fall away. A lot like us. We, we have these seasons in our life where we really chase after God and the things of God, and we really go after those things, and we get in church, and we get involved, and we get in a life group, and, and we get our kids involved, and then life happens, and things happen, and then, then we kind of wane away, and then life begins to fall apart, so then we find ourselves back at church, and it's kind of this on again, off again. And, and God speaks to the nation of Israel very clearly and says, look, if you're going to continue in this roller coaster romance with me, if you would, then... I'm going to allow you to be exiled. I'm going, to, I'm going to, for your own good, I'm going to teach you a lesson in essence. I'm going to allow discipline to come into your life in this way. And they don't turn towards God. They turn away from God in essence. They kind of rebel. And so then Babylon comes in and overtakes them, and they become slaves to Babylon. The king of Babylon at this time is King Xerxes. And, and he's a powerful ruler. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up this story of Esther as we talk about seizing the moment and finishing strong today. Esther chapter 2, verse number 5, says this. There was a Jew who lived in the palace complex in Susa, and his name was Mordecai. His ancestors had been taken from Jerusalem with the exiles and carried off with the king of Judah by the king of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon into exile. Mordecai, who had reared his cousin Hadassah, otherwise known as Esther. Since she had no father or mother, the girl had a good figure and a beautiful face, and after her parents died, Mordecai adopted her. So we find that Esther's living in this foreign country of Babylon, which at that point in time in history would have been the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. She's orphaned. She's raised by her cousin Mordecai. And during this time, and I'm kind of filling you in as we're going to walk through these couple of chapters, King Xerxes decides he's going to host a party. He's the most powerful man in the world. He's going to throw a party and do what he wants to do. And his wife, Queen Vashti, decides that she will be a no-show for the party. This enrages him so much that he basically divorces her. He has her done away with. And he sets up a beauty contest, if you would, to find out who will be the new queen of Babylon. Now, this is the first episode of the original series of The Bachelor, right? And this is what this is. Hollywood doesn't come up with this stuff. I'm telling you, it's in, it's, read the Bible. It's pretty crazy. This is what he does. Can you imagine? You don't show my party? Great, I'm done with you. And then I'm, I'm going I'm to have a, have a beauty contest. We're going to televise in all of Babylon throughout the known world. And, uh, and we're going to select somebody. So we pick up in verse 17, Esther chapter 2. Now the king was attracted to Esther. She was part of this beauty contest. More than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her the queen instead of Vashti. Now, here is this Esther, this orphaned Jewish girl who becomes queen of the most powerful empire on the face of the planet. And nobody besides Mordecai, her cousin, who's raised her, knows her ethnic origin, knows that she's a Jew. And the plot kind of thickens when Haman, who is one of the nobles for King Xerxes, decides that he wants to do away with the Jews, convinces King Xerxes that this is a good idea and that the Jews are a nuisance to them. And so he goes along with this decree, Xerxes does, with Haman, 
And Mordecai finds out about this and knows that the only way to stop this is for him to get a hold of Esther. So he sends a message to Esther. Esther, He can't approach her anymore because, quite frankly, she's royalty and, and Mordecai is, is a, basically a Jewish commoner here in this occupied country. And so he sends a message to Esther. And Esther's response is pretty typical. I'm not the king and I can't do anything about this. Who am I? And I think a lot of times when we see problems, situations, opportunities in life, we have those same responses. Who am I? I, mean, I can't do anything about this. I mean, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of happy to be here. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't, can't, I can't change the king's mind. I mean, you saw what he did to, did to Vashti. And so, I mean, he could just have me done away with, have me killed. I don't have direct access to him. I'm only get to get to be with him when he summons for me. I mean, it's just, there's no way. And then Mordecai sends another message back to Esther. And it's recorded in Esther chapter 4, verse 13. Esther chapter 4, verse 13. Do not think, Mordecai says, that because you are in the king's house and you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. It's probably the most quoted phrase from the book of Esther. The King James Version puts it, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, God's going to deliver his people. How do we know that? Well, because God made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And that he would, through Abraham... Would, would basically bring redemption, and we know that to be Jesus Christ. And God's not a man that he would lie, and God, will, God established his covenant with Abraham, and this is all part of that established covenant. And so Mordecai and all the Jews and Esther and the entire nation of Israel, they're an offspring or a product of that covenant, of that promise that God makes with Abraham. So Mordecai knows, look, Esther, you're either going to be a part of the solution or God will find someone else. But if you're not a part of the solution, he will bypass you. You will die in the process. Do you want to get in front of the parade and be the hero or do you just want to be a bystander and just be? And this is very typical. It's, it's much how we view sports. There are always more people in the stands than there are on the court. There are always more people in the stands than there are on the field. There are always more spectators than there are participators. And all those spectators can tell you exactly how they should have played the game, exactly what should have happened, exactly, right? But the reality is, is that in life, if you're going to seize the moment, if you're going to finish strong, you have to get out of the stands and you have to get on the field. You have to get out of the spectator position and you have to get into the participator's position and you have to put yourself out there. And it's scary. And there are many times where you feel alone and you feel like that you don't have the ability to, uh, to do. But, but, but then you begin to look around and realize God has brought you maybe to the kingdom, maybe to the place, maybe to the city, maybe to the state, maybe to the position, maybe to the relationship for such a time as this. And Esther responds back in verse 16. I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. See, she wasn't able to approach the king unless he summoned her. And if I perish, I perish. It's kind of one of those William Wallace Braveheart moments. Really, it is. Nobody's allowed to go to the king unless they're summoned. And Esther decides that she doesn't care. She's going to go to him anyway. 
And many of us, you know the rest of the story. Xerxes does not kill her, but he finds out what's going on. He, he listens to her. God gives her favor with him. He has Haman brought in and publicly executed, and all of his men die, and the nation of Israel survives. And all because of this orphaned, exiled Jewish girl that God brings to prominence. And she takes that opportunity, she seizes the moment, and she finishes strong. Esther illustrates this crucible experience. She doesn't run from the battle. She doesn't run from the situation. She doesn't run from the need, but rather she runs to it. We are commanded and commended in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 to do the same. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We are to make the most of every opportunity as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and that, that phrase, not as, as wise, not as unwise, is a, is a note to stewardship. That we've been given this life, that we've been given resources, that we've been given time and talent and treasure. And we've not just been given it to us for our own consumption, but rather yet to leverage that and to use that for whatever it is that God has put in your heart to do. Whether it's leading your family, raising your children in a godly and a God-honoring way, whether it's starting a business that will leverage that influence for kingdom benefit, whether it's going into ministry, whether it's meeting a need across the street, whether it's ministering to a family that's in need, whatever it may be that God's called you to do, whether it's taking that new position that may move you away from family and home across the country, whatever it may be, we've all been given an opportunity and we are to steward that in a very wise capacity, and make the most of it. We all have opportunities. We all have moments. The question is, what do we do with them? How do you seize the moment? Well, I just want to give you a couple of things here, and then we're going to close. And it's just from this passage. It's observations from the book of Esther. First of all, see the needs around you. Take a moment and look at the needs around you. Why is this important? Because Many times the opportunities that are going to come in life are going to come in the form of a need. Opportunities don't come when someone rings your doorbell or the phone calls you and, or the phone rings and someone's on the other end and they're calling you and just saying, hey, we think you're great and you're awesome. Would you like to come and do X, Y, Z? Usually you find a need that nobody else wants to do. You do it better than anybody else and nobody will ever take your job. Ask any employer, anybody in management, They'll tell you, I don't need employees that go, well, I do this on Mondays and Tuesdays, but I don't do this, this, and this. And on Thursdays, I do this, and I need this and this. Those kind of people drive people in management bonkers. But the people that walk in say, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm not, there's nothing that is, I'm not too good to do anything. I'm not above anything. I will work. I will roll up my sleeves. I will do whatever you need me to do. And they do those jobs. Those are the people that excel. Those are the people that get promoted. Those are the people that get advanced. I'm just telling you how it works. And it's because in their areas of employment, they see needs and they address them. They don't walk by a box in a hallway and go, well, somebody should pick that up. They don't walk by trash in a parking lot and say, somebody should pick that up. You ever been to Disney World? Their employees are all trained that anytime they see a piece of trash, garbage, or litter, or, or litter that they're to pick it up and put it in the garbage. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Young pastors on our staff that walk from their car into a parking lot, into the church offices, and over trash. And I walk back out and go, hey, listen, great preaching isn't going to change the world. 
that if that had happened, we'd all been saved by now. Great music isn't going to change the world. Building great buildings aren't going to change the world. And your idea of programming isn't going to change the world. What's going to change the world is servant leadership. You see the trash that you walked over? Let's just begin there. Before we just try to change the whole world in a crusade, let's just pick up the trash. I'm just saying, it's seeing need. You know, that's so elementary. But that's where we began. What are the needs around you? Look at your neighborhood. What are the needs that are around you? Look at your business. What are the needs that are around you? Look in your world. What are the needs that are around you? You can't do everything, but you can do something. What are those needs? Why is that important? Because the reality is, is that God probably has brought you into proximity with those needs because he wants you to do something about them. You see them when other people don't because he wants you to do something about it. And whether it's advancing your business or advancing your career or it's just trying to steward and be wise and not unwise with the opportunities that God's given you, see the needs. Secondly, we see in the story of Esther to recognize the opportunities that are before you. It's more than just needs. There are opportunities. There are opportunities that happen around you. you. As you begin to take an inventory, and I'm serious, you can take out a pad and a piece of paper and, you can, and a pen, and you can begin to write down, here are needs that I see. Here are things that pop up to me. Here are things that I see. Here's my perspective on these things. Of that list, what are the opportunities that emerge from that? What is something that you can do? See, it changes from somebody should do something to I should do something. Now, I can just tell you this. Preachers, ministers are the world's worst on this subject. We tell every people, we tell people every weekend what they should do and how they should do it. You should do this, 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 right? And this is your time to say amen, folks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't tee this ball up any better for you. But the reality is, is not only should we do, but instead of just saying you need to do, you need to do, you need to do, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? It's the reason why I will never take an offering at this church that I don't give and lead in the giving, ever. Why? It's a leadership principle. I'm not going to present something to you that I first am not going to be personally invested in. Not just professionally, but personally invested in. And so there's opportunities around us. And we got to quit saying somebody should do something about the school system. And somebody should do something about the government. And somebody should do something about this neighborhood. And somebody should do something about these latchkey kids. And somebody should do something about this. And somebody should do something. And maybe that somebody is you. That was Esther's problem. Somebody should do something about Haman. He's going to kill all of us. But you know what? I'm in the palace now and I really don't know what I can do. As I'm working on this message, it reminds me of, of kind of the whole catalyst that began the Appleton campus. And those of you that are today that are at the Appleton campus, you had an incredible launch last weekend with 137 people. And we have nobody at an Appleton six months ago. And today we have 137 people that are there. And that campus is growing and things are happening. And it happened because of this. It didn't happen because 137 people met at Life Church and said, hey, we want to do a campus. <laughs> it happened because I got a phone call from Jeff Coggins. And Jeff says, hey, I've just moved back to the area, to the Fox Valley from Houston. And I'm leading people to faith in Christ. And I'm having a tough time finding a place for my family to go to church and also a place where I can bring these people that I feel like the gospel is going to be preached uncompromisingly. And at the same time, it's also going to be very relevant to where people live. And so Jeff says to me over lunch, 
do you think there might be an opportunity to try launching a video venue campus, uh, what, what we do at Life Church to, to leverage technology and to launch a campus in Appleton? I believe to whom much is given, much is required, and God has blessed us here at Life Church. And so we're given resources not to spend on ourselves and not to be used on ourselves, but in order to continue to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the corner and around the world. That's the Great Commission, going to all the world and preach and teach the gospel. Last time I looked, the Fox Valleys is part of all the world. And so I said to Jeff, I think that's a great idea. Who's going to be the campus pastor? And Jeff says, I'm willing. Now, you got to understand, it's not that Jeff didn't have anything else to do. At that point in time, he and Katie were expecting their fourth child. So they had three with one on the way. Jeff works a full-time job. He's in sales over a multi-state territory, which makes him travel. And Jeff said, something has to be done. And I'm tired of saying something has to be done. And I'm willing to say, I'm willing to be the one that will do it if that's what needs to happen. But I can't do it on my own. I need some help. And what you guys have done in the western suburbs and what you guys have done with leveraging technology and the mindset of Life Church, I think that God could be in this. I told Jeff, I said, let's do it. We didn't, we didn't have to pray for six months. We had to fast. Oh, it's a big deal. God already told us to go, didn't he? See, this is funny about church people. Well, brother, let's pray. It's a $100,000 investment. What happens if it doesn't work? What happens if it does? See, perhaps God will show up on our behalf. If I perish, I perish. Isn't that what Esther said? Maybe I've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm about to start preaching. I'm just going to tell you right now. And I said to Jeff, Jeff, what happens as, the, as, the, as the, the campus grows? He said, man, I'm willing to step out of the way. I, I just want to find a place like Life Church. And I just believe that this is the time. My point is, there are opportunities that are around you. And you may have all the opportunity you need, but there's something that emerges that says something should be done, and I can do something about that need and that opportunity. That's what Esther did. That's what Jeff did. And those of you that are at Appleton, y'all need to thank Jeff, take him out for lunch today. Uh, because that's the reason why that campus is there. The next thing is discover the courage that's within you. Because when you see the opportunities, immediately there's this fear that can come and that can take over. There's this, I can't do this. I, I'm not, I don't have the ability to do this. But the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Discover the courage within you. There's way too much self-doubt, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. There's too much, I can't, I'm not. If I had, it's too hard. And I think God is tired of us questioning what he's fearfully and wonderfully made in us and called us to do. If God's called you to be a missionary, he will provide. If God's called you to go to Bible college, he will provide. If God's called you to plant a church, he will provide. If God's called you to start a business, he will provide. If God's called you to lead a, an organization, he will provide. If God's called you to be the president of the United States, he will provide. There is nothing that is impossible with the God in which we serve. The only limitations are you, are me. It's our ability to, to, to have the faith to believe. And, and the reality is, is, is Esther felt the same thing. Esther felt that, who am I? What can I do? I'm just this. When she failed to look around and realize that God had brought her to a place of prominence and power to use her to save the nation of Israel. 
And the last thing is trust in the Lord behind you. Trust in the Lord behind you. I know that's kind of a weird phrase, but let me explain that. Trust in the Lord behind you. When we do steps one, two, and three, then God puts his super onto our natural every single time. When we step out and do what God's called us to do, when we do what we have the ability to do, then God steps up and does what only he has the ability to do. Here's what's interesting about the book of Esther. The hand of God is evident throughout the entire story in the account of her life. Yet God is not mentioned. Because many times the presence of God in our lives is not always, God doesn't always lead in front of us. We see it in the Gospels. When Jesus encounters the sick and the lame and the oppressed, he many times asks them to do what they don't have the ability in their own right to do in that moment. To blind Bartimaeus, he says, open your eyes and see. To the lame man, he says, rise and walk. To Jairus' daughter, he says, you know, or he says, come forth. And also to Lazarus, he says the same thing. And the reality is, is, is I think it's almost comical because I think Bartimaeus would be like, hey, if I could see, I wouldn't be here. Right? I'm blind. That's why I'm coming to you. To the lame guy, I can see him looking at it like, is this like a sick joke? I can't get up and walk. So you read the Bible way too spiritual. Mm, I mean, there's some funny stuff there. And when they, when he commands them, and they take the step, and they take the, the initiative in the natural, the supernatural kicks in. God's word has commanded us to do many things. And one of the things is he's put desires and plans and dreams in your heart. And Psalm says that he will give you the desires of your heart. That he's placed them there. Matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says that without a dream, without a vision, without a goal, in essence, you die. And so the reality isn't, is God wanting to do great things in us? The reality is, am I willing to take the step of faith? And allow him then to put his super onto my natural. That's what has to happen. Psalm 37, 23 says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And every miracle in scripture and every miracle in your life is going to begin with someone taking the first step. And then God showing up. And here's what I believe today. I believe that God has put things in your heart and in your life that you're going to see needs that nobody else sees. There's a reason. It's leadership in you that says something should be done, and I think, that I, I, think that I, I think I can do it. That's leadership. That's not wrong. Some of you are sitting here, and you're in this room, and you're going, you know what? I think church could be done this way, and it should be done this way. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. Some of you are, are here, and, and there's a call on your life that you're running from. And what I mean, a call into vocational ministry. And listen to me, because I'm telling you, as a 13, 14-year-old young man, I knew that God had a call on my life. And when the pastor would make comments like that, there was something that would ignite inside of me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of God that's resonating inside of you that something should and could be done. I would contend with you that this church here today started a lot longer than 14 years ago. I would tell you that it started 
The church that, that God had called me to pastor started when I was a 13-year-old kid in a, in, a, in a youth group. And it first expressed itself in, in junior high. When I just started, I was playing football, JV football, and I started inviting some of my buddies together for a Bible study. It was called Partners in Christ. It met on Monday mornings at 725 in Miss Stephanie Jean's art class. And I led 80 of my friends, a lot of my football buddies, to Jesus. Seventh grade. Nobody told me I couldn't. And I was the smallest, little, toughest, meanest little guy you ever met. But I just love Jesus. And that, that, that Bible study sparked in our city, who had four junior highs and two high schools, started a move, and it began to go around. By the time I got to high school, there was a high school group that was meeting, and it, it had started because of what we had started at Kimmins Junior High. Little did I know, Christians coming together. That was all part of that thing in me that said something could be done. There's needs. There's people that are dying and going to hell. Oh, I'm, I'm a typical kid. I'm going to the mall on Friday nights with my polo on and my collar popped and my, my Sperry's trying to sweet talk all the girls. But there was always something about seeing my friends that were far away from God. And I would tell them about Jesus. There was something that broke my heart. And I didn't want to pastor because I didn't want to deal with church people because I've grown up in church all my life. And honestly, church people are some of the worst people to be around because they like to tell you what to do, but they don't want to live it themselves. Can I get a witness? I'm just telling you the truth. Surly, mean, crusty. Mm, God help us. Now we are one, right? But there was this thing that something should be done. So you seize the opportunity. Owen Carr, my junior year in high school, Northeast Urban Church Planning, one of the great fathers of pioneering, especially in the Northeast, was planting churches all along the eastern seaboard, came to our church on a Sunday night and began to share about how God wanted to plant churches. And there was something that sparked in my heart. And as a junior in high school, I began monthly supporting Owen Carr. And I knew that one day God was going to use me in that way. I just didn't know. And Owen Carr talked about 39 populated cities across America that had a million or more in population. And there was something in me that resonated that said, one day I'll live in one of those cities. Now, you have to understand, I grew up in a town of 80,000 people. Have you seen the movie True Grit, where the railroad ends? That's Fort Smith. That's my hometown. I grew up in a state, Arkansas, of less than 4 million people in the entire state. We don't have a city of a million of population. There was something that was there. And when the phone rang in the fall of 2002 to come to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a city I'd never been in, people I did not know, had no connection with, the only time I had even been in Wisconsin was I was at a youth pastor's gathering in Rockford, drove to Beloit to have my picture taken with a Welcome to Wisconsin sign. It was April and it was snowing. And I said to myself, self, this is crazy. Who lives here? Something should be done. It could be done. So Tammy and I, only having just something in our heart that said, this is God. This is why we're here for such a time as this. And if we die, we die. Having friends call us, go, man, you're crazy. Milwaukee is a tough city. I mean, it's a tough place. 
only to get here and, and talk to Stuart Briscoe of the great Elmbrook Church. And Stuart said the same conversations happened to him. People tried to get him to go to Dallas and other southern cities. Said that D.L. Moody said that Milwaukee was a graveyard of evangelists. No great miracles or no great churches had ever been built here. That he would waste his life. But he said there was something, Aaron, that drew me to this city. And as he began to say those words in his office at Elmbrook, it began to resonate in my heart. That's the same reason why I'm here. Not because I'm accomplished, not because I, I have a degree or, or because I have this or that or the pedigree to do this, but because something needs to be done. And here's an opportunity. And you got to get out off of the stadium seats and you got to get onto the, onto the court and onto the floor. And there's all this self-doubt, but greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I'm just going to trust in God. And if I die, I die. But if I succeed, maybe God will be glorified and people will be saved. And here's what I'm saying to you. Now, I'm saying this for this. I'm saying that same thing pulses through you. This isn't about me. It goes through you. God's called you to build businesses. He's called you to build families. He's called you to start organizations. Listen, I'm all up in your kitchen. He's called you to do something great. Don't just slough that off. And don't just give 20 reasons why you can't. Just get out of the boat and take a step. And trust that he will be there to meet you on the other side. Here's what I want to do today at all of our campuses. I'm going to tell you what I want to do and then we're going to do it because I don't want to wig anybody out. But in just a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. Not yet, but in a minute I'm going to. And I'm going to ask those of you that said today, man, Aaron, this message really hit home with me. Now, please, I'm not asking for like an... Uh, a physical affirmation of, Pastor, you're a great guy. Golly gee whiz, while if we don't stand up, we're going to say your message really didn't mean anything to us. No. Going to church is kind of like going to a buffet. Can I help you with this? You get your tray. You're really excited about what's going down the line. Not really excited about the Brussels sprouts. Not really excited about the honey glazed carrots. Ah, oh, it's mac and cheese. Ah. And yet, that's, where you, that's what gets. And then you go by, and I'm not really into the roast beef, the meatloaf. Oh, there's fried chicken. Okay, my point is, is that there are some weekends where there's a message, and it's good. It just, there's some things you can apply, but it just didn't hit you. But there are some weekends where all of a sudden, you just, there's some, you want to just jump out of your skin. There's just something that's there that goes, that's it. That's what I'm feeling. That's what's going on. Or it's Jesus. It's through the person of the Holy Spirit that's just knocking at your door. And it's conviction saying that's the direction you need to move in doesn't happen every service, every weekend. It's okay. But you're here and you're saying that that message is for me. In just a minute, when I ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Because I think something happens when we change a place, change a pace, change a perspective. We, when we move, God begins to move. It's just a physical action. Even at the West Campus and at, at the Appleton Campus, I'm going to ask you to stand. Your campus pastors there are going to see you. They're going to come and pray with you, but they're, they're just going to know. And, and, and what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask all of you that are seated, that are Christ followers at all of our campuses, not to move out of your seat to pray for someone, not to ask them any questions, but just right where you are, just begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work in their heart that he needs to do. You may be a student feeling called into vocational ministry, and this is the first time you're going to take a stand. You may feel like you're in the middle of a fight and a battle and there's something that's resonating with this and it's what you need to do. You may feel like you need to meet a need of a neighbor or a, a, a kid or, 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 or a situation. It may be that you need to start a business. It may be that you just not need to give up on the business or the ministry that God's called you to. I don't know what it is, 
But here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit's here, and he wants to minister to you right where you are. So I'm asking everyone right now at all of our campuses to bow your head and to close your eyes. And those of you that just said, man, that spoke right to me, I just want you to stand up at all of our campuses. At all of our campuses, just stand. The Appleton campus, just stand. At the West campus, just stand. Germantown campus, just stand. Even if you're watching online, I know this is crazy, you're by yourself, just stand, just as a, as a point of action. Now I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna ask all of those that are seated at all of our campuses to pray for those that are standing. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, I stand with those that are standing. And Lord, your word, which is living and breathing and organic, that's transformational and incarnational, has pierced through the person of the Holy Spirit, through the hearts and lives of those that are standing here today. And I just pray, God, that the dream, that the passion, that the, the, the Lord, the, the, the desire that you've placed within them, God, that you will see them through. God, that you'll give them wisdom beyond their years and upon their, and beyond their own understanding. God, that you'll give them faith, God, supernatural faith to trust you and to believe in you, even in those moments where they want to quit and they just want to walk away. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would just give them strength today. I pray, God, let them be filled with victory. Lord, with hope that greater is you that's in them than he that's in the world. That they can do all things through you who strengthens them. And that you are the one that's called them. You're the one that's, that, that, that's commissioned them. And if they'll keep their eyes upon you, you will be the one that will see them through. I pray give them the resolve of Esther that understands that they've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. They've been brought to their company. They've been, got, been brought to this city. They've been brought to their neighborhood. They've been brought to this to see the needs and the opportunities for such a time as this. And to have that resolve that if they die, they die, but they will do it in the name of the Lord. I just pray for strength for every single person. I pray for victory and for hope and for the peace of God that umpires and rules our hearts, according to the book of Galatians, that it would rule our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.